the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We're here every weekday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word, to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, whatever is on your heart or mind, uh, questions about what we believe or why we believe it. We'll do the best that we can to answer any of those questions. Uh, this week has flown by. It has gone so fast. Paula got up this morning. She goes, well, it's another week. And I thought, my goodness, time is going fast. I guess that's just what happens when you're getting older. Three four zero ninety five eighty five is our phone number for your live calls. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can send your questions in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are uh, emailing, you can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, I get excited on Fridays because we we Friday night study tonight, then Sunday church. It's communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We're excited about that every time that we get the opportunity, the honor, really, of coming to the Lord's table. Uh, tonight here at uh, 7 o'clock, we're going to be teaching uh, Acts chapter 13. Actually, the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 13 is our Friday night study, and I am in Romans uh, chapter 13, finishing um, uh, the chapter on Sunday here on Communion Sunday at Calvary Chapel. Wherever you go to church, I, I exhort every time we get to a Friday, wherever you go to church, go there to be used by God. Ask God to increase your faith. Ask God to show you some divine appointments. Look for people who seem to be hurting. Look for people who need prayer. Uh, be someone that God can use. Don't just go. You know, too often we just get in the car with our families. We go to church and then we leave and we go home from church. But make church an event this weekend. Wherever you go to church, same thing is true here at Calvary Chapel. The place will be full of lost, hurting, hungry, broken, needy, and confused people. And every one of those people represent an opportunity to be the love of Jesus Christ. To comfort them, to encourage them, to pray for them. Maybe just talk to them, get to know them. That's what church is all about. I can't wait every Sunday. You know, I'm so busy sometimes at churches. We have three services. We're always on a tight time schedule. Um, but um, it, it's just an exciting time. I know people are going to get saved and... Um, Maybe, who knows, just maybe, this could be the weekend Jesus comes for his church. That'd be okay with me. One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 
Our first question is an email question from our auction, not email. It's a mobile app question from Nacho. Pastor Ron, who are the two Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus and Adam, or is it a metaphor? Uh, Nacho, in chapter 2, what Jesus is doing is he's talking about, or what Paul is doing, Jesus through the Apostle Paul, is he's... Um, um, revealing a mystery, you know, Paul had the privilege of revealing several mysteries of the of the of the Word of God to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, and this was one of them. This is the mystery of Jew and Gentile becoming one body. So that's who the two are. The whole idea there is that that Jews who were the people of God, the house of Israel, um, in Christ they come together, and also the word has spread to Gentiles, and Gentiles are believing. So what God has done, he's taken the two people, Gentiles described as, as, as once we who were far off, no relationship with God. But now in Christ, he has made the two one, and the two are Jew and Gentile becoming one. That's a glorious, glorious mystery of the church of Jesus Christ, something that at least to a Jewish mindset, it was impossible. We recently were in Acts chapter 10 here on Friday nights, and that was when Gentiles were included in the church. It was a radical idea. The church up to that point was entirely Jewish, and even then the thought of Jews and Gentiles becoming one in Christ was an overwhelming idea. That's why uh, Peter was the one who was sent. That's why Peter was put on on trial, sort of, when he came back. You went into the house of a Gentile, and he had explained, look, I, I, I received a vision. Uh, some men came and asked for me. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, don't be afraid to go with them, for I've sent them. And he went to the household of Cornelius. He said, when I saw that they received the Holy Spirit just as we did, and, and by then the rest of the Jewish Christians had no further objections. Well, if God accepts them, we're going to have to accept them as well. Um, that mystery that he revealed in, in Ephesians uh, was, was wonderful. Now, a mystery, just for your information, a mystery is something that has been hinted at but never revealed in fullness. Paul had four of those mysteries that he was able to, to receive from the Lord and share with the church. Think about that. Four things, and, and suddenly all, Paul would think, oh, well, that makes sense now. And so that's what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 2, Jew and Gentile becoming one. Remember one thing, Nacho, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I have sheep that are not of this fold, or not of this pen. And they would have scratched their heads and said, what do you mean? Well, what he meant was, he's got Gentiles who are going to be included in the body of Christ. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Thank you for the question, Nacho. Here is a question from Amy. Amy says, "Can you explain why the virgin birth is considered so important? It's always hard to tell unbelievers that a virgin had a baby, but see, Amy, that's when we are able to express the supernatural element of God." The miraculous God, of course it's hard, but God can do all things. Now, the reason the virgin birth is so important it is, in fact, an essential of our faith. If you do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Mary uh, was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, uh, had no, no union with any man, if you don't believe that, then you don't have a faith that can save. I've had people tell me, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't believe he was born of a virgin. Well, then you've denied an essential, an, an historic essential of our faith. Now, here's why, Amy. The man would pass on the sin nature. We all received that from Adam, our federal if Jesus had been born and his father was a man, if Mary got pregnant the normal way, then Jesus would have been born with a sin nature. Because Jesus couldn't be born with a sin nature. If he was, then he wouldn't have been able to save us. He would have sinned. If Jesus had been born, his father was a man, 
If he was born of the sin nature, then we would all be lost. That's why God had to be the Father. That's why the Holy Spirit overcame Mary and impregnated her. There was no sex act. There was nothing. It was just the Holy Spirit in supernatural power. Made sure that Mary was a child and this child would be the one who would grow up to die for our sins. And Amy, you don't have to defend this. Just declare it when people, unbelievers, are making fun. Do you really believe that a virgin had a baby? I do, and here's why it was necessary. And then it gives you a great opportunity to share the gospel. You can start with, you know, the problem between man and God has always been sin. God is holy and we're not. And since sin separates us, God had to make a way for us to come to him. And he did that by coming to us in the form of a baby at first, but the baby who would grow. And every day as he would grow, every day of his 33 plus years, he was walking toward that date with Calvary. And then you can tell him because he died, you can share with your unbelieving friends that their sins can be forgiven. And you know what? If they laugh at you, it's okay. They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at Paul. Paul, your great learning has driven you insane. That's what Festus said. Jesus was mocked. He's a drunk. He eats with sinners. If he really was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. My, my point, Amy, is that we need not worry about what people think. I have no problem telling people that a virgin had a baby. And, and none of us have any problem not only telling them that, but telling them that why that's a good thing for them. So the virgin birth is an essential. If anybody believes that Jesus is the Son of God, they also have to believe that he was born of a virgin. Here is our question from Albert. Are church services structured in such a way as to prevent the Holy Spirit from doing new things? Uh, Albert, let me approach your question um, from two perspectives. First, there are no new things. Um, you know, we live in a, a new and improved world. Paula will tell you that the three words I hate more than any in this entire English language are the words new and improved. Some product I use, have been using, and it changes new and improved. It never is new and improved. Well, in the in the Christian world, there is nothing new. I tell our church all the time, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Uh, stand in the ancient paths, we're told, by the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because, well, the ancient paths are the foundation for everything that we believe. There's nothing new. So church services are structured because time, the culture that we live in, we have lots and lots of people, remember, in the first century church, they met in houses. I haven't checked this out yet, but I was studying just today. Somebody said that churches didn't own buildings for 300 years. And then all of a sudden, with the advent of what we now know is the birth of Roman Catholicism, buildings started showing up in the possession of the churches. We also know that in the early church, they would meet all day then take a break and many times meet again at night in homes all over different regions of the countryside. And so nobody was in a hurry. At one point, Paul killed a kid by preaching all night long. Now he raised him from the dead, so it's okay. Eutychus survived. But we don't have that kind of time I'll just use Calvary Chapel as an example. Albert, we have three services. We have an 8.30 service, a 10.15 service, and an 11.59 service. And I'm always working really hard to make sure my message doesn't go too long because we've got to leave enough time between services to get people out and get people in and get kids out of the children's ministry and back into children's ministry. So the structure is necessary. Can I, I, I will say this in, in our 20... 
almost 22 and a half years. I'll just say 20, that's what it is. It's May 31st. It'll be 23 years. We've never started one minute late. Um, I, I want to respect the time of people. Um, we try to get people out uh, at the right time. Sometimes that's a challenge. But we have to have that structure. We've got children's ministry workers. They, they, their time and service needs to be respected. So yeah, they, there has to be structure. But here's the important thing. What a church service is, and again, I'll just speak for our church. It's different with every church, but we all mostly have these things in common. The church service starts with worship. Why would the Holy Spirit want to stop that? When we're worshiping God. Now, sometimes we're watching a performance. That should never be the case. True worship is when people in the congregation are singing. Remember, we're singing to an audience of one. Sometimes we sort of flip it around and get it messed up when we think the worship team or the performer or the soloist is worshiping to an audience that we call the people of Christ, the church. Now, worship, we, we have an audience of one. His name is Jesus. And so the, the body needs to sing. And then we open the Bible. We teach God's Word, written by the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would He want to interrupt that? If I'm teaching the Word, why would some new thing even matter, Albert? I know it sounds sort of hyper-spiritual to say, well, you know, let's just wait on the Holy Spirit and let Him lead. Well, He leads in the teaching of His Word. He leads in the pure and sincere worship of the people of God. And church isn't a place to come and get goosebumps. Now, it happens sometimes, but that can't be the point. Church isn't a place to come to see this new miracle move of God. That's not what church is for. Church, according to Ephesians, is a place where these saints, that's you and me, Albert, are to be equipped to do the ministry God's called us all to do. Now, for 2,000 years, that mission has never changed, so why would be interested in a new thing? Now, I think I know what you mean, and this is the other perspective that I'll look at this from. There's all these new winds and waves of bad doctrine that float through the churches. They go away for a while, they come back repackaged. Nothing is new, even in the false junk that's going on. And sometimes people want to know, well, Pastor Ron, when do we speak in tongues? Well, we don't, because the Bible forbids us to all speak at tongues in, in tongues at once. Well, when do we prophesy? Maybe somebody wants to say, thus saith the Lord. There's no false prophet in the body who is going to have more impact or more value than the Word of God when it's being taught. I'm quite confident the Holy Spirit, Albert, is moving big time through the church as the word is being taught. I get to look out and I can see the conviction. I can see people squirming in their seats. I can see when people are excited. But there's nothing new. You know, we've got Bibles that are supposedly being filled with oil. We've got gold fillings, angel feathers, gold dust. We've got laughing and barking. All these things have come through. None of those things are true. And even though they're new, they're dangerous. They're harmful. So, Albert, structure is necessary. God is a God of order. And we who are believers should worship him with our focus on that order. Hope that helps. Thank you, Albert. Three four zero ninety ninety five. I say that number so many times I can't remember. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I don't know why I just had a brain fade. Or toll free, you can call us at eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. Charles has a question. What is the main reason that people reject Jesus? Um, I could I could come all kinds of spiritual reasons, Charles. But here's the reason: there's only one. They don't want to stop sinning. That's 
the only reason that people reject Jesus. Now they reject him. They don't want to stop sinning because of unbelief. But the truth is, we like to sin. And when you come to Jesus, you're coming on holy ground. I, I love when Jesus spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. What a sight that would be. And Jesus spoke from the bush and said, Take off my sandals for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. And I can almost see Moses falling on his face. He removes his shoes. He gets on his knees. He can't bear to stand to look in the holy fire. If we come to Jesus, we come to that fire. That means we've got to repent of sin. And repentance isn't just feeling bad about it or being sorry even that we got caught. Repentance is stopping sin. And so we come to him on his terms. We say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And then we ask him to come and help us come to live within us so that the power of God is in us to keep us from sinning. And you can see, Charles, that when people don't want to stop sinning, they can't come to Jesus. Now, people will come out of guilt. They'll come in an emotional moment. But make no mistake, unless you come to Jesus with the intent of not sinning, you haven't come to Jesus at all. So it's something very, very important that we've got to understand. 340-9585. Hope that helps, Charles. 340-9585. Let's go to the phone lines and talk with Art on line one. Art, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How you doing, Pastor Rocky? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> I am too. Hey, I do want to, uh, I'm, I'm a frequent caller. And um, I just want to thank you for, for being on the air because I look forward to 4 o'clock. I really do. I don't have a question <laughs> today. I just want to tell you that I really, really, really look forward to 4 o'clock. I put everything aside and, and, and just to listen to your program. And, oh, and Art, best. thank you, dear yeah, brother. Yeah. That's, that's so nice. I know, the, I, I know it's the best thing for a lot of people. So keep up the good work, Pastor. Thank you. Lord willing, I'll be able to do it. Thanks very much. How kind. Let's go another San Antonio call. Ray on line two. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ray. Um, when, when you were talking previously, um, I had a puzzlement because uh, you've said several different kind of things, you know, that about the 154 fish, that's because... You know, no significance other than that's how many fish they had caught. But also you mentioned previously that any time Jesus would say, verily, verily, it was really important. And to tag along to that, when you said, well, in his 33 years or so of life, and I'm going, well, why, being God, why would he pick to be 33 years old when it happened, you know? I mean, I, I realize it was a specific number of days and so on and so forth, not to belabor the point, but he could have been born earlier or, you know, Methuselah was pretty darn old. So uh, is there any <laughs> anything you can put to rest in my mind about the double three, you know? Okay, I, I can... Um, Ray, a, a couple of things. First and foremost, it was 153 fish, not 154. Again, that was only important because that's the number of fish that were caught. But on a serious note, we don't know for sure how old Jesus was. Uh, here's what we know. We know that throughout the Old Testament prophecies and throughout the New Testament, we hear a, ta a lot of talk about at just the right time. 
at just the right time. Christ died for sinners at just the right time. You'll remember, in fact, at the wedding in Cana, Jesus was oblivious to the fact that the time was now. He, he grew up as a baby, um, went through his teenage years. He was a young adult. Um, uh, at, at about, and we say about because it's as close as we can get, 30 years of age, it was the wedding in Cana. And his, his uh, mother told him about the problem. They'd run out of wine. And he said, woman, why are you bothering me? Mine hour has not yet come. And what that means, Ray, is that he was waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell him. Well, at that particular point, that was the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's when heaven would reveal to Jesus, this is your time. And that was his first miracle. And that was the inauguration of his public ministry. So we know it was just the right time when Jesus walked into or came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. It was the specific right time, 173,880 days from the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. So everything Jesus did was on a timetable determined in heaven. And he didn't know. He veiled his deity. He didn't know until the Father from heaven, by the Spirit, said, Go. Ray, I hope that helps. We've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have you call. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585, our final 30 minutes of the week. Here is a question that just came in from our mobile app from Princess. Uh, she wants to know, what are your thoughts on the cross at Kerrville? Princess, I'm only vaguely familiar with it. Um, let me just say, as a general rule, I'm all for uh, symbols of the cross anywhere, publicly or otherwise. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, uh, it, it was done, I know, by a renowned uh, sculptor. Uh, yeah, I know there has been some controversy because of... of um, those who would who, who protest anything that is a picture of God, especially when it relates to Jesus Christ, um, you know, the need to keep it out of the public eye. But but again, I'm I'm all for it. Now I I, I think maybe what you're talking about is the the, the so-called miracles uh, that are being manifest there. Um, healings, there's visible angels and all of that stuff. Um, Princess, that stuff is just nonsense. You know, it's charismatic nonsense. Uh, every time I say something like that, uh, I, I, I reinforce that we are, I am personally here at Calvary Chapel, we are charismatic. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we would be lost without the gifts and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But here's what happens. We take an icon, we take a, a symbol of something, the, the symbol of the death of Jesus Christ, and we turn it into something. Our human nature, our human nature is, is to, to, to end up worshiping things, and we look for manifestations because of the things. It's not the thing, it's Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't need to wait for a cross to be built, and there's physical manifestations, visible angels, um, um, you know, in in too many churches, this charismatic nonsense goes unchallenged. And if somebody were to say to me, well, I have proof. Okay, let me see proof that miracles are happening. Let me see proof, evidence that there are visible angels. And nobody can provide any. So I think the thing that we need to do, Princess, is remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus told Thomas, blessed are you, happy are you, is what that means because you have seen and believed, but more blessed, happier, are those who believe and have not seen. So here's the problem. We take a, a symbol and we turn it into an object of worship. You know, that's why God uh, buried Moses' body. The, the, the devil, we're told, 
disputed with Michael the archangel over the body of Moses. Why? Because the people who revered Moses would have turned his body into an object of worship. Gideon had the same problem. So here's the thing. We we need to, fee- to, to keep focused on Jesus. He alone is responsible for any good that happens. We need to stop miracle shopping. And we need to learn to be content with what God has already done. So, Princess, again, as a symbol, I think anything that reminds people of their need for Jesus is a good thing. But when we turn it into a sideshow, and that's apparently what's being done at the cross in, at Kerrville, um, when we turn it into a sideshow, then we we are basically making a mockery of the things that we believe and hold sacred. If I could get people to start looking for Jesus and stop looking for miracles, if I could get them focused on the real power of the Holy Spirit instead of the goosebumps that is misrepresented as the Holy Spirit in so many, too many of our churches, well, that's when we'd be able to see Jesus. Very important. Thank you for the question, Princess. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. It says, I am a Christian who was involved in an accident. In parenthesis, he or she says, not my fault. Good. Uh, then he continues, or she continues, I have a lawyer, but a friend said I should not sue because the Bible says we shouldn't. What are your thoughts? Um, the Bible says only that we shouldn't sue other Christians. Um, if you were in an accident, you're going to have to deal with your insurance company. Your insurance company is not a Christian because the company can't be a Christian. Um, and and they're probably going to try to save money, and you're going to want to get your car fixed. You're going to want any medical bills taken care of. So we need a lawyer. Um, uh, but but it, it is a misunderstanding. The scriptures never say that we should not sue. Uh, we shouldn't. Um, avail ourselves of of our justice system. It just says that we shouldn't sue other Christians, uh, especially in front of unbelievers, that we should be willing to suffer loss rather than to go to court in dispute against another believer because it is a bad witness. So um, you're a Christian, you were in an accident, you probably need a lawyer. Um, Try to avoid, um, you know, the, the... sort of stretching the truth that a lot of lawyers will do and try to get Christians in. You know, remember that that when you're talking to your attorney, when you're talking to uh, a judge, uh, or when you're talking to an insurance company, remember that you're a Christian and you sh- you only want what you're entitled to have. Uh, don't look at it as an accident as though it's an easy way out to get a bunch of money. Um, I know people that have done that, people that claim to be Christians and um, it's a very short-lived blessing uh, because God knows the truth of our hearts. If you, But if you've been in an accident, it's not your fault. You probably need a lawyer. I joke, and I probably shouldn't joke anonymous, but I joke sometimes with people who have been taking an accident. I say, you know, you don't need, need to go get that really mad lawyer. Uh, that, that should not be um, the Christian perspective. We should just want to be made whole, and that's enough. Here's a question from Teddy. He says, is it okay for me to get tattoos that testify about Jesus? Of course it is, Teddy. If you're uh, an adult and um, um, or you're a teen and your parents say it's okay, uh, yes, it's okay. Now, here's what I always recommend with tattoos. Two things. One, it's hard when you're young to remember that these are permanent. They're going to be with you for your whole life. So move slowly carefully and prayerfully. Secondly, as you pray, be honest with the Lord about what your motives are. See, this is something that the Holy Spirit is going to tell you is either okay or maybe for you it's not okay. You know, one of the things, and I've had this conversation with all of my young pastors, and we've got some guys that are pretty tatted. Um, the more tattoos you get, the less people you're going to be able to minister to. It's just that simple. People say, well, it shouldn't be that way. Well, but that's the reality. And why would we want to cut the number of people that we're able to minister to 
in half or even by by a third because we wanted a tattoo. So that's why examining motives is really, really important. Uh, I have a son, uh, Teddy, who is really heavily tatted. Uh, now, I've seen people with way, way, way more, but but um, he's my son, and he's pretty, he's pretty blasted. So um, as a grown man now, uh, I know how much he regrets almost all of those tattoos. I know the money he's had to spend and the expense he's gone to to turn some of those really gross tattoos into uh, tattoos that uh, are, are not offensive, tattoos that do honor the Lord. I love to see it because it's, a, it's an outward sign of what God is doing in his heart. But he regrets doing it. So I always give counsel, especially to young men and women, Try not to do anything permanent to your body till you're 40. Now, nobody listens to me. But so many people end up regretting their tattoos. So, is it okay? Yeah, there's no Bible verse that says tattoos are sin. Now, I know in Leviticus 19 it says the NIV and the, the modern translations use the word tattoo. But that's not what we consider tattoos. What we do is just body art. The, the tattoos the law deals with in Leviticus 19... Are, are really it's a, the, the the Hebrew word is cutting yourselves, and the pagan peoples. Unfortunately, some of the Jews would start doing it as well. Uh, they would cut themselves, worshiping false gods, and that's what they were forbidden from doing. Not not the body art that we see done. So, when we understand that, um, then yeah, it's okay to get tattoos. Hope that helps, Teddy. Here is an anonymous parent. I like these questions. Um, my daughter is in the process of choosing a college. Would it be safer to direct her to a Christian university? Anonymous, it depends what you mean by Christian university. If you mean something where there's a standard of behavior, a standard of conduct, a code of conduct, um, Bob Jones University or Liberty University or something like that, uh, yeah, it might be a little bit safer, but the one thing we we need to understand is that that even universities with um, uh, Christian roots, um, my, my son Terry, our younger son, went to Pepperdine University and and um, in Malibu, California, and um, um, it's, it was it it is it was and remains a Church of Christ University. Uh, we have a young man uh, in our church here who goes to Texas Lutheran University. Um, um, SMU, Southern Methodist University uh, in, in Dallas. We've got uh, young men who are applying for entrance there. But here's the problem. They're not Christian universities. They're universities that were founded by Christians. But believe me, they're not Christian universities. They're going to get the same stuff that they get in every other university. Liberal arts programs are going to get the um, higher criticism of the Bible, um, which means they don't really believe the Bible at all. So I, I, I don't think it would be safer. Uh, I just think you've got to have her be directed by the Lord. I think this is a great time for a young man or a young woman, in your case a daughter, uh, to begin seeking the Lord and hearing from the Lord and receiving direction from the Lord um, sort of what it means to be an adult in Christ, um, to, to, to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit instead of just doing what seems right to us. But I, I, I just don't think there is a Christian university or a university founded by Christians that is, that is safe. The only thing that's going to keep your daughter safe is hiding the Word of God in her heart now, um, staying in the Word of God, being with Jesus, Walking with him day after day, trying to fall more in love with him every day, that's the only thing that's going to be enough to to stand. It's an amazing thing to me, anonymous parent, that we will spend so much money, we'll even go into horrendous debt to send our kids to a university where they're going to tell people that you're crazy to believe in Jesus. We pay for that. Can you imagine? We pay for that. And because most of us can't afford college tuition, we borrow that. 
We end up leaving our children in terrible, terrible debt burden. And then we wonder why our kids stop reading their Bibles. Wonder why they're no longer interested in coming home and attending church when they do. And we pay them to do that. So the only answer is an equipped daughter, in your case, anonymous. She needs to love Jesus more than she loves sin. She needs to have a faith that is firm and grounded. Paul calls it immovable. And she needs to know, she needs to be prepared that they're going to try to steal her faith from her. And she has to be prepared to make her own choices. It's the best thing that you can do. So I hope that helps. God bless you and good luck. Let's go to Teresa calling on line one. Teresa, thanks for calling. You're on the air. <laughs> Teresa, if you turn off your radio. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Teresa. Uh, Pastor Ron, I wanted to ask you, is there anyone, are there any church, do you have any church services anywhere else other other than over there on Pat Booker Road? Because I live way over here close to downtown. We have, we have churches now. I was wondering if you, huh? I said, Teresa, we have, Teresa, could you, could you turn your radio down because we're getting, you're on a seven second delay. Thank you. <laughs> we're, we're always on a seven-second delay in the audience, so when you can hear sorry, yourself in the background, it's very convenient. Sorry. That, that's okay, Teresa. Teresa, we we've planted churches here in town. We've got a a, a, a really great guy uh, in South San Antonio. Uh, if you're in the downtown area, he's only uh, ten minutes from you. Uh, Pastor Joel uh, at Calvary Southside. Um, and, and he's a, a, a man I recommend and I know and love. Uh, he's part of our body. Um, uh, and we, we've got churches spread around the area. But for me personally, we're, we're just in this one location uh, in, uh, in the northeast section of town. Now, the other thing, Teresa, if you are interested in coming, is uh, you could call and leave a phone number and an address with the church office here. Um, and and we've got people coming from all over the place. I mean, it still amazes me how far people drive to come here. Um, and and I'm sure we would have no problem finding uh, a consistent ride for you to come here if you were interested in doing that. So if you're interested in doing that, let me just give you a phone number. You can call 210-658-8337 and leave a uh, contact email or phone number, and we will make sure somebody in that area gets to you. But uh, uh, Joel Ortega is the pastor's name on the south side, and uh, he's a good guy, so he's he's not far from you at all. Who was Pastor Ron? Can you repeat that number one more time? Yes, I can. It's 210-658-8337. Okay. Eight three three seven. Yes, that's our church number. Okay, and I you got tell, it now. Th- thank you, Teresa. Just tell me, talk to me on the radio, and they'll get me your number. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Thank you, you, Teresa. God, God bless, bless you. you, Pastor Ron. Mm-hmm. Let's go to uh, get anonymous parent already. Here's one from Patrick. He wants to know what are cloven tongues of fire. In Acts chapter 2. Um, Patrick, as best we can figure, this was just a, a visible manifestation of the Spirit's grand entrance. Uh, and it would have been what, and see, the reason we don't know for sure, because it says what appeared to be cloven tongues of fire resting on top of the people. And they spoke in other tongues, and there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Well, the cloven tongues of fire uh, were were visible but symbolic of the Holy Spirit's entrance. And, um, you know, His Holiness is a consuming fire. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, are, are they all share all of the same attributes, holiness preeminent among them. And uh, that was simply God's way of announcing that the 
comforter, the counselor that Jesus promised had made his, his entrance. And they could see it with their eyes. They could hear it with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then they experienced the supernatural gift of speaking in other languages, languages that they weren't familiar with. So the cloven tongues of fire, it wasn't really fire. It appeared like that. But it was just those who believed they had this this picture that everybody could see. This man's now filled with God's Holy Spirit. So that's what they were, um, um, symbolic more than anything else. Patrick, I hope that helps. You know, whenever we see symbolism, um, Jesus as an example being baptized and the Spirit descending on him in the form of a dove. It wasn't really a dove, but it was in the form of a dove. That was just another entrance um, of the Holy Spirit in this world upon Jesus to whom the Spirit was given without measure. Uh, So when we see things like that, um, that's just English language trying to describe something that is very unnatural and supernatural, in fact, in power. Les wants to know, Acts chapter 17, Pastor Ron, who is the unknown God? Les, one of my favorite stories, uh, the unknown God, you remember that Paul had been in trouble, he would uh, been beat, and then there was a riot breaking out, and uh, his, his co-workers, his companions said, you've got to get out of here, so they sent him to Greece, and they sent him to Greece to sort of lay low. Just take it easy. We'll be there as soon as we get this mess cleaned up. Just don't do anything. Don't get in any trouble, Paul. And in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was supposed to be laying low, he started walking around the city of Athens. And he saw all of these unknown, or these these idols, these gods, that aren't really God at all, but they're, they're idols, things made by men, wood and stone. And Paul was overwhelmed with sadness. And it was like he couldn't bear to see one more thing. And then he stumbles upon this one idol that was dedicated to the unknown God. Now, he goes to Mars Hill and he goes, I perceive that you're very superstitious. Another translation says very religious. Same thing, religion is superstition. And he says, he says, well, I've come to tell you about this unknown God. Now, this is a great example of witnessing and using what's given. Now, the unknown God, I called this last, the, the, in case I missed a God God. They had gods for, for everything imaginable, just multitudes and multitudes, literally thousands of them in Greece, and in, in particular, in this case, in Athens. And Paul says, I've come to tell you who he is, the the one who is God, who you don't know. His name is Jesus Christ. And then Paul turns that, of course, into an opportunity to witness. But my point is, he wasn't laying low at all. He just couldn't take it anymore. His heart was so burdened by these people that were worshiping false gods. You know, Les, this is sort of how I feel when... I interact with people on this radio program or run into people when we're sharing Jesus wherever we go, uh, Paul and and and, uh, and I. Um, and we'll ask them, are you a Christian? You're born again. Yeah, I go to church. And, and then we ask them, where do you go? And it's, well, I'm a Catholic, or I go to this church or that church. And often they'll mention churches that I know are really bad churches. And I feel like saying, I can see that you're very superstitious. So let me tell you the truth about Jesus. It's just a really hard thing for somebody with a pastor's heart, and certainly the Apostle Paul had a pastor's heart. It's a really hard thing to watch people doing religious things, and yet they don't know Jesus. It really keeps me awake at night. And so Paul's message to them, well, the unknown God is no longer unknown. And then you remember he said he commands men everywhere to repent. Well, that's when he got in trouble again, and they had to come rescue him again out of Athens. 
So, Les, I hope that helps. Uh, here is a question from Victor. It says, Pastor Ron, what is meant by absent from the body in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8? Uh, that's the place, Victor, where uh, we have the assurance that if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. In other words, the Spirit in us. Now, this is hard to explain because we can only identify with the bodies that we have. I can walk by a mirror and I can see that that uh, I look in a mirror. Oh, there, there's there's Ron, I, and that's who I am. But but this body, thank God, this body is not who I am. The spirit in me that inhabits this body has found a temporary home given by God. I was born, and so my spirit lives. But it inhabits this body. Now, as we get older and these bodies wear out, we die. Physically, the bodies give out, but we don't die inwardly. And so what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here is that when your spirit um, leaves this body, when when you physically die, spiritually, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't die. That means our spirit, the real us, goes instantly into the presence of God. And that spirit is given a new body, a body that's equipped to handle eternity. And Paul wants us to know there's no soul sleep, there's no holding pin, there's no purgatory, there's no possible chance that we get a second chance. When we die, if we're a believer, we go into the presence of Jesus. Now, if we die and we're not a believer, we go into torment. That's not a good choice. Been a good week on the program. Thank you very much for your calls and your great questions. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. In the meantime, go to church. Be the man or the woman that God uses to bring comfort and love to another. See you on Monday. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.